In the governor's executive budget proposal at the start of 2023, she identified the financial solvency of the Metropolitan Transportation Authority as one of the three most pressing issues to be resolved in New York's spending plan. Now that we have a state budget, we're going to examine what Governor Hochul and the state legislature did to address the short and long-term stability of the public transit operator for the New York City area. And to do that, we're joined by Rachel Foss, Senior Policy Advisor for Reinvent Albany, a fiscal and transparency watchdog. Welcome back to the show, Rachel. Thanks again for having me. Well, Rachel, this may end up being a quick interview because according to the press release from the governor, this budget includes, quote, a record investment to save the MTA and secure long-term stability for public transit, end quote. So case closed, are the MTA's problems solved by this budget? I think in the short term, they definitely are. The deficit that they have that is a result of COVID and the massive drop in ridership that they've had and, you know, the failure of ridership to still come back to the levels before COVID, you know, the funding in the budget, it solves that problem in the short term. So this year and the next several years, the MTA has enough operating money to not have to do any massive cuts. So it's it's really is a win. You know, the devil's always in the details and there's some trade-offs in terms of how the money is raised, but it's excellent news for transit riders. Well, in terms of those short-term investments to keep the MTA afloat, how much money are we talking about and where does it come from? So the MTA received a lot of federal aid, emergency aid, that went to transit systems across the entire country. And that is running out. So what this new investment of state resources is going to do is really help to keep operating aid going in the absence of that federal money. So what the MTA had stated as their need stretching out that those federal dollars a little longer is they needed 600 million for this year 2023 and then 1.2 billion yes with a b for 2024 and in the years to come so those are the types of numbers we're looking at to avoid massive service cuts and the other thing that was at stake is you know what is the fare increase going to look like for riders this budget doesn't prevent a fare increase, but it reduces it by quite a bit. So the burden on riders to help pay for um, the MTA is, is less than it would have been otherwise. During the course of this budget process, there was talk about utilizing licenses from prospective casino operators in the New York City area to help bridge the MTA's gap. Did the final budget include a plan to utilize gambling money in that fashion? In the short term, what the budget's going to provide is $300 million in a one-shot aid from the state, just from the general fund, this year to help as new taxes are ramping up. So the, the $300 million is going to get in the MTA's pockets right away. And then a payroll mobility tax on just the New York City region is the other major revenue raiser. Originally, it was proposed to be for the entire region, including the suburbs, but it got in the part of the negotiations, the, the vast you know, majority of the burden is going to be on New York City businesses. And then the casino revenues were really source of funding down the road. You know, We don't even have those casinos yet. They're still being cited. 
there's a whole debate about where they're going to be within New York City and, and other places in the state. So that casino revenue is really, you know, we're looking at two, three years out. The governor's proposal had all of the casino revenues or the vast majority of the casino revenues in New York City and the suburbs going to the MTA. What the final budget does is it's actually about 50-50 between the MTA and education funding. Traditionally, state lottery funds have gone to education. So that was part of the fight over those future revenues. But again, that's you know several years from now, and we don't even have the casinos yet. So that was never going to be the immediate solution to the MTA's problems. Well, are you agnostic about where the MTA gets the money from to address its short-term as well as long-term financial issues? So I think the way we've looked at it is, you know, we want to make sure that the revenue that they get is secure and stable and not subject to some of the budget gimmickry that is too common in Albany. When funding comes through the general fund or it's sort of a one-shot payment, you know, basically transit riders, the MTA, have to come back to Albany year after year and be part of that budget fight to get the resources they need. But if it's set up through dedicated taxes that get delivered to the MTA and they don't even need to be appropriated, they're you know sent remitted directly to them, that's the safest way for them to remain secure and not have to be part of the budget fight every year. So that's actually how the payroll mobility tax is set up. It's a dedicated fund. It was increased in the budget, but it already went directly to the MTA. So it's not part of the kind of back and forth of the budget negotiations. Um, as far as the casino revenue is concerned, you know, I think the risk of that revenue being relied on as the sole source of funding for the future needs of the MTA is just it's very speculative and the range of money is very wide. And it's not something to bank on right now. I think maybe we'll have a better idea of what the numbers will look like in a couple of years. Well, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. We're speaking with Rachel Foss. She's a senior policy advisor for reInvent Albany, and we're talking about the financial situation at the MTA following the adoption of the state budget. And I'm curious what this budget means for planned fare increases in the future, because I know Democrats in the legislature were hoping that they would secure enough funding to avert any sort of fare increase. Were they successful in that effort? Yeah, I would say it's a partial success. Um, you know, I think it, w- it would be a lot to ask riders to pay more for service that isn't improving. So what they were able to secure is that the instead of a more like five and a half percent fare increase, it's going to be four percent. There hasn't been a fare increase in the last several years. The federal money emergency aid really helped to prevent that from happening. And COVID was an emergency for everybody with record unemployment. You know, it just, it wasn't the right time to raise fares during the last several years. So this increase of 4% is in some ways making up for the the lack of fare increases. But along with the 4% increase, there's also going to be service improvements. There's going to be more frequency on the subways. It, it nighttime and on the weekends. So asking riders to pay a little more for better service certainly feels better than asking them to pay a lot more for service that's the same or, you know, even worse, potentially service cuts. I would say partial success. Well, yeah, as someone who 
actually probably utilizes the New York City public transit services a, a lot more than most people upstate, including myself, who had a wonderful subway ride a couple weeks ago to go to a, a wedding uh, in Central Park. Do the improvements that are planned in terms of the services equal the increased cost that's being asked riders to carry? Do you feel like they should be getting even more bang for their buck, or, or does this seem like a fair trade-off? Yeah, I, I think on balance, it's certainly better than it could have been. Um, you know, something I haven't mentioned yet, too, is that there are a couple other things afoot to help people who have the hardest time affording fare increases. There is going to be a new free bus pilot for one route in each of the five boroughs within New York City. Um, this is to the MTA to try and see how it would work. A lot of other cities like Boston have had free buses in, in some, some level. This is something that was pushed for by a lot of the legislators. Um, there's a fixed MTA package that Assemblymember Mamdani was pushing, for example. So there is going to be a free bus pilot. And if it's successful, this is something that can maybe be replicated throughout the whole city. Additionally, in, in New York City, for the New York City Council, there's a fair fares program that it makes it so that people who are at the poverty level right now, they pay 50% of what they would otherwise for pay for, for the subway fare. So the city council is actually actively considering expanding that right. So that'll, they'll make it so it's uh, twice the level of the, the poverty level. So the people that can least afford the fare increases are hopefully going to get some more help. And I think that's, that's the way to balance that, that fare increase so that it's, it's not a burden on the people who can least afford it, but it's it's more affecting the people, you know, like myself, who can afford to pay the subway and can afford to pay a 4% increase. Well, what about the long-term stability of the MTA? Does this budget resolve any lingering dangers out there, any fiscal cliffs that we need to be worried about in the future? Or is it likely that three or four years from now, you and I are going to be having uh, the same conversation about an effort to bail out the MTA because of unforeseen fiscal challenges coming? I, I think that we're, we're going to be good for the next several years. It's hard to predict the future, but what's largely dependent on is how many people return to the subway? You know, you may have seen the news about subway ridership, you know, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, hitting 4 million riders. You know, that's, that's really good news. That's the most since March of 2020. But still, it's worth remembering that getting to 4 million riders, that's still 70% of what it used to be. And that's only on those days when the most people are riding, you know, Mondays and Fridays. People don't go to the office anymore. And I, I'm, I'm in that category myself. I only go in three days a week. So it really is dependent on how quickly and, and how permanent these changes are for people and their commuting patterns. The projections the MTA is using for their budget now has a steady improvement in people riding the subway more. You know, we're at, you know, on the best days, we're at about 70% of what we used to be. But we still don't really know what the future is going to be like in terms of commuting and return to work. Well, does it make sense to rely 
on ridership for funding? Because you mentioned Assemblymember Zoran Mamdani, and he's talked about really moving away from that structure altogether. Yeah, I I think that this the whole discussion in Albany about transit and the value it provides is it's you know there is absolutely a valid point of view that it's a public service. New York State doesn't do a lot of direct service provision. It gives a lot of money to the counties for healthcare, for education, for example. But transit, MTA being state agency, is actually it's one of the only state-provided direct service agencies out there. In that, if you think about it in that capacity. So, you know, there's a strong argument that New York State should be making larger investments in the MTA because it's so important to the New York City economy and, and therefore the entire state economy that whatever can be done to support them, you know, as a government watchdog, it's a very good use of state resources to fund mass transit because it's got a massive return on investment as opposed to, you know, some of the tax breaks for businesses that we don't think have as much bang for buck, for example. Well, we've been speaking with Rachel Foss. She's a senior policy advisor for reInvent Albany. Rachel, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the Independent Power Producers of New York. IPNY's annual Clean Energy Spring Conference and Showcase is set for May 9th and 10th at the Albany Capital Center. More information at IPPNY.org.